This is the Life Truth Network. Truth Exposed, Episode 50. Truth Exposed, a feature of Quest for Truth, where we take a deep dive into Scripture. Now located at life-truth.com. Here are your hosts, Keith Heldsley and Nathan Caldwell. Hey, everybody, that is correct. This is Truth Exposed, the feature of Quest for Truth, where we take a deep dive into Scripture. In fact, it's going to be so deep of a dive today. We're not going to get very far into John 14, is what we'll be studying today, digging into it. And by the way, this is your host, Keith, and uh, joined with me a little bit. We will have remarks from Nathan Caldwell, and a lot of uh, comments and remarks from our favorite radio Bible teacher of airways, the long-deceased J. Vernon McGee. Uh, he has a lot to say. I actually had to edit back tiny bit uh, of uh, his remarks uh, and uh, what I will be doing is I will be bringing uh, scripture uh, on scripture cross-referencing uh, presenting uh, how important Jesus words are in this passage uh, how it affected other gospel writers uh, how even Paul uh, had uh, used these teachings in his writings about uh, who Jesus was, his divine nature, and uh, our heavenly home, and all of those topics and more. So it, uh, it will be kind of deep uh, as we go, and only into the first few verses. Uh, there will be a Bible challenge, so stay tuned for that. It'll be one of the last things you'll be hearing today uh, in our, our uh, study of this scripture. But hey, without any further ado, oh, by the way, uh, J. Warner McGee, his ministry is still out there through the Bible Ministries. Look it up. Uh, it is ttb.org through the Bible.org. Uh, you'll find his uh, current ministry is still active, still reaching people around the globe, still sharing uh, his Bible studies, and even having a new voice of his uh, ministry uh, share his Bible studies as well. And anyway, now that I've uh, added that uh, bit of credit, uh, let's go ahead and look at uh, some good folks there at the Christian Podcast, community.com. Just a whole ton of uh, podcasters. When I say whole ton, I don't mean they weigh a ton, maybe collectively, but not individually. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but that's true. But there's a bunch of people there, a bunch of good people. Where you, Some of them will sound like uh, these voices right here. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another for his name's sake. What's up, everybody? I'm Jamal Bandy, the host of the Prescribed Truth Podcast, where I seek to distribute the truth that the doctor prescribes to the church and the world today. The Lord graciously brought me out of a cult in 2010, saved me in 2013, and in 2017, Prescribed Truth began. My mission has been to spread the truth of God's word while refuting dangerous lies affecting most churches and the culture at large from a biblical and reformed perspective. Join me on Sundays at 
Atlantic, 6 p.m. Eastern Time for the live recording of the podcast on YouTube and download the audio version wherever podcasts can be found, including the Christian podcast community. If you would like to know more about Prescribed Truth, please visit my website at prescribedtruth.com. And remember, this world is full of errors, but the only thing that the doctor prescribes is truth. Blessings. Unbelievers now have no excuse to misinterpret the Bible like they ever did. Interpreting the Bible has never been easier or less expensive. Get your copy of What Does It Mean to Me? This teaches and demonstrates the importance of biblical interpretation. Proper biblical interpretation is the difference between truth and error, life and death heaven and hell this is created for your sinos that's your christians in name only readers will stop asking what does this mean to me and start asking what does it mean get your copy of what does it mean to me at trackplanet.com or on amazon.com today you want to get this before it's too late Are you just watching? You grab the popcorn, plant the family on the couch, and flip on the TV. But have you left your worldview behind? Media comes in all forms, and all of it contains some level of indoctrination. Are you just watching? The Entertained Christian's Handbook to Consuming Media with Purpose is a guided journal with worldview-shaping info and lots of guided note pages to help you watch and discuss anything you put before your family's eyes. Purchase it now on Amazon.com. And don't just watch. main topic I'm going to start with John chapter 14 verse 1 do not let your heart be troubled believe in God believe also in me and by the way this is a reading from the NASB New American Standard Bible Jesus is speaking to his disciples here and he says uh, let not your heart be troubled you believe in God believe also in me now, this is a clear-cut statement of our Lord that he's God. I know that there was here in Southern California a theology professor who made the statement that Jesus never did teach his deity. Well, I offered to take him to lunch and to point out at least 15 passages and there are more than that, by the way. But I'd point out 15 for a starter for him, and I'd even pay for his lunch. And that, for me, was quite a step, you see. But nevertheless, he didn't accept it. But the fact of the matter is that here is one of the many statements. I would like to ask a question of anyone that would make a statement that Jesus never taught his deity, I'd like to know what he's saying here in this first verse if he's not making himself equal with God. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And friends, this makes something else very clear. And it makes it clear that if you just believe in God, 
That just means one thing. You're not an atheist. But to be a Christian means to have a personal faith and trust in Christ. But I want to comment on do not let your heart be troubled. Of course, the disciples are troubled because this is a continuation of the upper room uh, dialogue we've seen in the previous installment where Peter addressed Jesus and he became troubled. Well, Jesus was troubled thinking of the events coming. But we can look at uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 10, where Paul writes, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always caring about, in the body, the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Hebrews 12, 12 and 13. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for the feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. So when we're troubled, we should realize we have, have the comfort of God through our trouble. Let's continue on because Jesus goes on to say, believe in God, believe also in me. We can find this in John 5, 23, so that all will honor the Son as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. In John 12, 44, Jesus cried out and said, he who believes in me does not believe in me, but, but in the one who sent me. First John 2, 23 and 24. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard in the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. Now, what is that that abides? Well, it's the Holy We'll find out more about that as we go. Let's read verse 2. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. Now he says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Now, let's establish, first of all, what the Father's house is. Now, the Father's house is this vast universe that you and I live in today. We're living on one of the very minor, smallest planets that there is. We're just a speck in space. fact of the matter is, if you got far enough away... No one could see us, even with the most powerful telescope. We live in the Father's house. And you can go out at night and look up, and you can look into part of the Father's house. You see the starry spaces. Now, Lord said, in my Father's house, there are many mansions. And I think there was a wry smile on his face when he said that, because he's the one who made them. And he knew how many there were out there, and I don't. Probably you and I could never be able to count them. 
Now, I do not believe that in this vast universe, God has a vacancy sign hanging out. Now, I don't mean that mankind, human beings, are living on any other planet. I don't think so. One's enough. And we are the ones that are in rebellion against God. And I think this vast universe filled with created intelligences, is looking at this little earth because here is where they've seen something they've never seen or experienced before. And that's just simply this. God's created intelligences. They knew something about his wisdom. They knew something about his person. They knew something about his power. But they knew nothing about his love until the second person of the Trinity of the triune Godhead. He came down to this earth, the Lord Jesus Christ, and died on a cross because God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. And there is a display of his love on this earth. Now, you and I think we're pretty valuable. And I don't want to offend you today, friends, but you know the human race isn't worth saving. God could just very easily brush us off of this little earth and start over again. In fact, he could speak the little earth out of existence, get rid of us altogether in the little earth, and he wouldn't miss it. But you see, he wouldn't be demonstrating love, would he? He'd be demonstrating justice and righteousness and many other things, but he certainly wouldn't be revealing love. And God loves us. And that's the amazing thing. And that's the most wonderful thing in the world, friends. God loves you. And he loves you not because you're worth loving, but he loves you in spite of the fact that we are absolutely, totally depraved. We belong to that kind of a human race. Now, if you deny that, look around you today. How could a civilization that reached the heights we did tumble in just a two or three decades as far down as we've gone unless there's something radically wrong with the human family. And God's been saying all along that there's something radical with the human family. The Lord Jesus said, "...in my Father's house are many mansions." Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like that word, mansions. I'm not looking for a mansion. I, for many years was an ordained Presbyterian preacher. And I lived in what that church calls a manse. And that's a shortened form of mansion. Now, friends, I have lived in some very odd mansions. When I was pastor in Nashville, Tennessee, I lived in an old antebellum home. I think it had 14 rooms in it. I never did count them, because I don't think I ever got in all of them. I used to tell the folk, on a clear day, you could see the ceiling in the living room. Well, I moved in, and I wasn't even married, friends. And that was a pretty big place. And I can remember how cold that place got in wintertime, because you only had a little grate to heat it. And very frankly, I just lived in the corner of one room and had my study upstairs in a room up there. And when anybody talks to me about a mansion in the sky, I just have to say, I shudder. I don't want it. And I'm thankful that's not what the word means after all. The Greek word is monai. It doesn't mean mansions, if you're thinking in terms of a house. doesn't mean that at all. It means in my Father's house are many abiding places. And this vast universe, as we've already suggested, is filled with abiding places. Now, he said, if it were not so, I would have told you. 
The Lord Jesus puts his entire reputation on the line here. You either believe him or you don't believe him, my friend. Now he says, I go to prepare a special place for you. And this is quite wonderful. This vast universe filled with so many places, and yet he's gone to prepare a place for those that are his own. Now, there are two or three things here quite interesting. I remember years ago when they were grinding the mirror for the 200-inch eye that's down at Palomar. Why, they missed it the first time. I believe it was a millionth of an inch. And one of the men working on that, I knew him, and I asked him what had happened. He said, they missed it, I think, about a millionth of an inch. And I said, my, you're sure getting careless down there to miss it like that. They had to have a paraboloid surface, you know, in order for it to focus correctly. And finally they got it, and then they had difficulty getting it up the mountain to Palomar. And he'd work down there every week, and on weekends he'd come home. And I would ask him, what do you see through that telescope? Well, he got tired of me asking that question. Finally he says, why are you so interested? Well, I said, you got it poked in the front window of my father's house. And I'd like to know what you're seeing up there, because he's gone to prepare a place for those of us that are his down here. What a wonderful thing this is. Now, in the phrase, in my father's house are many dwelling places. Sometimes it's, I think, translated mansion. And we have the customary mansion on the hill waiting for us in heaven. That's not what this is saying. It's referring to a manse or a room in a huge mansion. We're going to have our, our very own room, our living space within the palace of the kingdom of God. In Second Corinthians 5, 1 states this, For we know that if the early tent, which are, is our house, is down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands. But Hebrews thirteen fourteen. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. Because Jesus promises, if this were not so, he would have told you. And we can refer to John sixteen four. but these things I have spoken to you, so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. These things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. First Thessalonians 3, 3 and 4, so that no one will be disturbed by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we have been predestined. For if indeed we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we're going to suffer afflictions, and so it came to pass, as you know. In the First Thessalonians 5, Nine, for God has not destined us for wrath, but for attaining salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Titus 1, 2, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. So these are promises that not just from Jesus, they're from God and they're from ages ago. Okay, then Jesus says this phrase, I go to prepare a place for you. And in John thirteen thirty three and thirty six, little children, 
I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. In verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Now, this is the phrase that had Peter and others troubled in our previous session. In John 17, 24, Father, I desire that they also who you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus wants his followers to be with him. He, he doesn't want to leave his, his suffering and destitute here. So these promises you can count on. Look up here at verse 3. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And he says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And friends, as far as I can tell, this is the first place in the Bible that you'll find where God's going to take anyone off of this universe out yonder to a place that he's prepared. This was never the hope of the Old Testament. You remember in Genesis, God never said to Abraham, I'm going to take you off out yonder to a star. He said to them, I'm going to make your offspring like the stars of heaven in number, but I'm going to give you the land down here. And friends, the hope of the Old Testament was that there would be a kingdom down here on this earth in which dwelleth peace and righteousness, and that is God's purpose for this earth. Personally, I think this expression, the kingdom of heaven, means the reign of God over this earth. And I think that's all it means. Now, these theologians today have kicked that around of every school, and I think about every one of them has written a book on the kingdom of heaven, giving his idea of what it is. There's utter confusion today because of that. But I just happen to be poor, simple preacher, and all I can say is that the kingdom of heaven is the reign of the heavens over this earth. Now, that's God's purpose. And he has said in the second psalm, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. That's God's earthly purpose. And he's moving undeviatingly, unhesitating, uncompromisingly to the day that he puts his own upon the throne down here. That's the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's God's earthly purpose. That's in the Old Testament. Here is the first time he said that he was going to take a people and those people, beginning with the apostles of the church today, and that the church is to be taken out of this earth and to be with Christ in the place that he's preparing out there. This is the first time it's mentioned, but it's not the last time Paul talked about it, that the Lord himself would descend from heaven and shout the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and all of that's his voice. His voice will be like a trumpet, and his voice is like the sound of an archangel. 
And he's coming to call and take his own. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then those that are alive in Christ will be caught up together to meet the Lord in there. And so shall they ever be with the Lord in there in that place. He's prepared. And John in Revelation shows that city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. That, my friend, will be a new Jerusalem, a new city, a new concept in city living and urban dwelling. And that's where the church will dwell throughout eternity. That's the hope. We can compare that with Matthew 25, 32 to 34. All the nations will be gathered. All the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to the son on his right, Come, you are blessed by my father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Acts 1.11 says this way, but I also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up for you to heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. So when he says, I will, he's promising he will go and prepare a place. And he's also promising, I will return. First Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shot, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead of Christ will rise first. That we who are alive and remain, we caught up together with him in the cloud to meet the Lord in the air, and shall she will so so shall we will always be with the Lord. I always say that. I'm so joyful thinking about it for this time time. Two Timothy Two twelve. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Uh, there is a Bible challenge here uh, to verses two and three. Uh, so let's listen to that and see what that's all about. This is going to be a Bible challenge on John 14, uh, verses 2 through 3. The question or the challenge here is, was heaven prepared from eternity, or is Jesus still preparing it? The problem here, Matthew affirms that heaven was prepared from the foundation of the world. Uh, we can find this in Matthew chapter 25, verse 34. I'm going to read this from the NASB. Then the, the king will say to the son on his right, You who are blessed in my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But here in John 14, verse 2, Jesus I go to prepare a place for you. And implying that it was not yet prepared at that time. The solution 
I know where he's going to go with this, but let's find out what uh, the book here said. The first text, meaning Matthew, the first text speaks in general about the pre-existence of heaven. The latter specifically about its pre-adaptation to each killer soul. There is a dual preparation for each person and each person for heaven. Since individual believers will have different rewards, what uh, we can find this in 1 Corinthians uh, 3, 11 through 15, again, just from the NASB. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on a foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Uh, also in 2 Corinthians uh, 5.10, for we, and this is also from the NASB, by the way, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Then the reward in heaven, which already exists, will be suited to their particular service. And that's the end of the challenge and response. And yeah, that's where I thought it would go, is that yeah, heaven does pre-exist, but what's being prepared is our reward. And as uh, the passage in the Corinthians stated, we can build on the foundation of Christ and on the cornerstone of Christ, actually, and the foundation of the apostles. And if we build quality work that glorifies God here on earth, it will be rewarded. But if we tend to use bad material maybe you know we're trying to do good work but we're just tossing in the cheap stuff the straw and hay and the stubble uh, and maybe a couple of sparkly things and golden things once in a while uh, that's gonna be burn up but we're gonna all we're gonna have for a reward would be well that uh pittance of it quality work so and what does is that quality work if you ask me sometimes it's not you know, the grand and glorious things we do. I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of prominent celebrity pastors out there who won't be as rewarded as what they might think they are. And there's a lot of humble folks who are behind the scenes who will never be known by anybody else but their family. And they'll probably receive a lot more uh, reward for the, the legacy that they leave uh, in raising kids right participating in community correctly, and so forth. Uh, but yeah, that is what Christ is preparing. He's preparing a reward in heaven. He's not preparing heaven. So yeah, I, I, I kind of maybe put it more verbosely, but hey, I, I would agree with that uh, solution. 
challenges are from the Big Book of Bible Difficulties by Norman Geisler and Thomas Howe. Baker Books, 1992. Can you prove that God is a trinity? Can you prove that Jesus is God? Can you defend the Christian faith? And what is it that Christians truly believe? The new book by Andrew Rappaport, What Do We Believe?, will answer those questions and more. Some people just don't understand what the church is today. But this book will go through the history and meaning of the church. And what's more important than to understand man's sinfulness and God's salvation? Get your copy at whatdowebelievebook.com or at the strivingforeternity.org store. Hello everyone, Daniel Minnick here. I host a podcast called Truth Espresso, and I am inviting you to join in. So what can you expect at Truth Espresso? Well, at Truth Espresso, we wake up our minds every Monday with a robust shot of truth. Let's dig deep in the Word of God as we get to know our God better together. Let's challenge our view of the world as we take apart conventional politics with a fine-toothed comb. See all that Truth Espresso has to offer by going to www.truthespresso.com. And by the way, Truth Espresso is now a member podcast of the growing family of the Christian podcast community. Check out other faith-building shows at christianpodcastcommunity.org, hosted by Striving for Eternity Ministries. Commands of Christ, presented by Nathan Caldwell. When you are out as sheep among wolves, there is the, the, the idea that you're in danger. There's also the idea that sometimes you have to engage the wolves. And how do you do that? Do you do that by sticking a finger in their face and going, you're going to die and go to hell? Yeah, when it comes to wolves, the best thing is to be aware. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and maybe the temptation is to get a little back on them. I'm not saying that that's the right thing. I do know that if you leave it in God's hands, He'll take care of it. God has a way of taking care of things a lot better. I just, uh, when you said that, I thought about Greg Kokel and how he talks about being an ambassador for Christ and the, the, the wise as serpents, you know, is your tactical approach and the harmless as doves is you do it in a manner that is... Uh, you can be aggressive in that. Right. You, know, you always have to temper it with that passage that says, Vengeance is mine, so the Lord. Uh, and so you want to be careful about retaliating. Right. That was Commands of Christ, presented by Nathan Caldwell. Now located at life-truth.com. Hi, this is Jonathan coming to you from my walk-in closet in the small town of Mannheim, Pennsylvania. Welcome to Small Town Theologian, a show devoted to digging into the Heidelberg Catechism and ecumenical creeds, not just to better understand foundational truths, but to seek to apply them to the rhythm of everyday life. May your life be shaped by what you learn. 
I'd love for the show to reach more people. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, would you please rate the show? Also, share the podcast with a friend. Thanks for supporting the show. All right, well, uh, there we have it. That's a note to close on there with that Bible challenge. Uh, definitely some uh, good stuff, a good challenge, too, talking about uh, uh, Jesus uh, uh, preparing a place if, if he already had something pre-made from the foundation of the universe. And of course, it just means that it's, it's about our rewards. So heaven, of course, has been founded since before creation, but our rewards, he's taking what we give him to work with. So give him lots of good uh, work down here on earth. That works. Give him a lot of good work. Work for his name's sake. And uh, a, you're building your space. You're outfitting your space in the heavenly home. The new heaven and the new earth. Uh, anyway, I don't have an awful lot more to add here. And so it's just time to... We're going to close it all out here. And here comes uh, Anthony Russo to tell you all about how to find us on anywhere, how to follow us, uh, leave us a comment, send us a voicemail, all those good things. So here, take it away, Anthony Russo. Hey, this is your Keith signing out. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Visit life-truth.com where you can find all our shows. Leave a message or call our voicemail number at 401-753-4844. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash life truth page. Follow us on Twitter at HPNCast, capital H, capital P, capital N, capital C, A-S-T. Everything Nathan Caldwell does can be found at facebook.com forward slash protectors of the book. Music in the show is used by permission of Kevin Zerby at zerbinator.wordpress.com. May God richly bless you. May you find everything you need. And if you don't know Jesus, your greatest need is a savior. Thanks for listening.